Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, now as we come to this time of worshiping you by listening to your word to us, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be attentive to your word today, Lord. And Lord, may your spirit work in our hearts to move us and transform us, Lord, to be more like Christ. Father, as we looking looking ahead now to the crusade that is going to be taking place here uh, starting next Sunday evening, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would prepare our hearts even now and, Lord, begin to prepare the hearts of those who will come who you will draw to that place, Lord, be working in their hearts. Lord, let us see a great harvest and a victory for your kingdom. Lord, may that be on our hearts all this week, Lord, as we pray, seeking your power and your Holy Spirit to transform lives. Lord, let us pray. And be given to prayer so that we might see your great and wonderful power at work in our community. This I ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you'll be turning with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. We are in lieu of our crusade coming up next Sunday evening, I felt it uh, necessary to spend some time thinking about that, thinking about what we are seeking. We are seeking an awakening, an awakening of hearts to God and to Christ. And so this morning we'll be looking at the power of prayer and the Holy Spirit in awakening And next Sunday, we'll be continuing that same thing. Next Sunday, we'll be seeking an awakening, looking to the power of the gospel in awakening. So just tell you what's coming up. Before we read, if you would, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were... Uh, Dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and 
Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, beyond uh, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Let's uh, talk a little Christianese to begin this message with this morning. Uh, we don't hear in our day and time a lot uh, about revivals and awakenings. Now, we, we all know, if you've been in church long, you know what we consider to be a revival. And, and uh, so we may understand that a little bit. And, but the term awakening, it, it may not be as familiar to some of us as as it might ought to be. What are we talking about when we talk about revivals and awakenings? We're, we're looking for a revival to take place. That's what we are looking for. Now, when I think about revival, the, the word there means revive. And so when you talk about revival, although it's come to be almost synonymous with awakening, Really and truly, revival means it's more pointed towards the church itself. It indicates a reviving of the heart to Christ. There's, there's life there. There's spiritual life, but the church needs a reviving. And certainly, we want to see the church revived and on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when we think about an awakening... That's something slightly different. An awakening is not just the reviving of the Christian heart, but an awakening is an awakening of the heart fresh, anew. The heart is dead in its trespasses and sins, but comes alive together with Christ. Awakening is hearts coming alive from their deadness to the things of Christ. And so as we are looking to this crusade that will begin next Sunday evening, what we really want to be praying for, we want to see revival, we want to see churches uh, regain the fire of, of the gospel, the fire of Christ. But more than that, we want to see hearts awakened to the gospel, awakened to spiritual things. We want to see people come alive together with Christ. We want to see hearts converted. That's what we want to see. That's what we need. Uh, when we look at the world that we are in, we need awakening. Uh, look at, at the, the way our society is. Look at the rampant immorality that's all around us. I mean, it's, it's almost, in our society, it's almost immoral to be moral. 
immorality is so rampant that it's just accepted as the way things are. And you're looked down upon in so many cases if you call some immoral things what the Bible calls immoral and you call those things immoral. Our society is rampant with immorality. We see the persecution of the church growing around the globe. I mean, there's, there's always been persecution of the church around the world, but we see an increasing of that persecution even now. Look at ISIS and what they're doing, sweeping across the Middle East. That's never been a, a very good place, a very receptive place to Christianity for many thousands of years now. But even now, it, it's growing more intolerant of Christianity, and we're seeing Christians being beheaded for their faith. And it's growing beyond that, far beyond that. We see a decreased valuing of human life. Murder is on the rise. We talked about the sanctity of human life, life just last Sunday. and There's just been a mass devaluing of, of human life altogether. But we desperately need an awakening. That's the only thing that will turn the world around. So if we need awakening, if the church, here's what I want us to see today, if the church wants to see an awakening, she must seek God and depend on the power of His Spirit as she proclaims the gospel to the nations. Let me just say that again. If the church wants to see an awakening, she must seek God, that is seek God in prayer. And depend on the power of His Spirit as she proclaims the gospel to the nations. So let's begin then to look at this and look at the passage and see how this even takes place in the first century there with the apostles. First of all, we see here that if we are to seek an awakening, we need to first of all seek God in prayer. Seek God in prayer. That's what the disciples were doing when this Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them at, on the day of Pentecost. Now we see this here. It says that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now what were they doing gathered together all in one place? Well, I think we, uh, we see that. If you look back, you've got to kind of consider the whole context here. And if you go back and look at uh, chapter 1, verse 14 here, you see what they were doing. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So we see there that what the disciples do after Christ has been raised from the dead, after he ascends into heaven, what do they do? They go, they gather together, and they begin to pray. They begin to pray, and I, and I think that they, they continue to pray. They continue to pray, 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 pray. Jesus told them to go and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And as they were waiting, they weren't just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. They were in prayer with one another. 
We want to see an awakening, awakening of, uh, like this taking place in our day and time. We need to give ourselves to prayer. Prayer comes before the fall. That is the fall of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know you're familiar with the term pride comes before the fall. Pride, that's dealing with sin. Pride comes before the fall when you're dealing with sin. But we're dealing with awakening here. And when you're dealing with awakening, prayer comes before the fall of the Holy Spirit. His falling down upon the hearts of the lost. Even the church. Prayer comes before the fall. These disciples were giving themselves to prayer. Praying together. Waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come. And what takes place then? As they were gathered together, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As they were sitting there praying, the Holy Spirit fell down upon them and filled them, gave them the power to do what they would do next. If you can continue on through the book of Acts, in fact, if we really start to consider the book of Acts, the book of Acts is, is really two major themes that run throughout the book is, is the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, some people call the, the book of, of Acts the, the gospel of the Holy Spirit. You get the gospels of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John. But then Acts, is, it turns to the Holy Spirit and you begin to learn more and more about the Holy Spirit. But you see, every time throughout the book of Acts before the Holy Spirit falls down, prayer precedes it. If you go on over to chapter 10, you see the conversion of Cornelius. This is where the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles. Here in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the Jews, on these Jewish believers for the first time. And then as they go out, it falls on those Jewish uh, people in the city who are there. They hear the gospel, receive the gospel, and the Spirit falls on them. Then when you step through, you see the falling of the Spirit on the Gentiles. This is where the, the disciples realize that they got to go out and preach to the Gentiles because the gospel wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles as well. And so when you get to chapter 10, you see Cornelius, the Gentile. And what takes place before Cornelius is converted? Well, Cornelius himself was a God-fearer, and he was giving himself to prayer. And also you see Peter going to the Lord in prayer, and he's caught up in a trance, and he sees this vision that he is about to, to go and, and proclaim to the Gentiles. And then after prayer, the Holy Spirit falls down upon the Gentiles. Continuing on, you see in chapter 13, Saul and Barnabas, as they are getting prepared to go out onto the mission field, to take it to the nations, the church at Antioch gathers around them, lays hands on them, and prays over them that the power of the Holy Spirit would go with them on their missionary journey. 
Throughout the book of Acts, what do we see taking place before the Holy Spirit comes? We see God's people praying. Dear friend, if we want to see a revival, we need to pray. Even in history, we see this, uh, this taking place as well. If you go through, there was, in America, there's been three great awakenings. Three great awakenings. There's been several great awakenings throughout history. This, in Acts, I believe, is the first great awakening of the church. Then you have the Reformation, I believe, was another great awakening. But here in America, on American soil, we've had three great awakenings. The first took place in 1730 through 1743, the second through 1790 through 1840, and then the third great awakening happened in 1857 through 59. And the thing that marked the third great awakening, now all of them had this in common, all of them began with prayer, but the third great awakening was marked especially by prayer. Marked especially by prayer. On the 23rd of September, 1857, a New York businessman by the name of Jeremiah Lanfer, he began a weekly prayer meeting, nothing special, he just invited some men to come and, and, to, and to pray. About six months later, that prayer meeting had grown to the point where there were some 10,000 New Yorkers gathering throughout the city in prayer. Businesses began to even shut down for a period of time every day because everybody was going to pray. And during that time of great prayer, conversions were seen. Many conversions were seen. In fact, there's, on one occasion it was recorded that as a European cargo ship uh, came into the New York Harbor, the men, the crew, began to be uh, convicted and before they ever even made dock there in the harbor, many of the crew members, most of the crew members, had surrendered their lives to Christ. We want to see a great awakening. We need to be serious about prayer. We need to give ourselves to great prayer and unified prayer. Not just any prayer, unified prayer. Unified prayer is best of all. Got a little rhyme thing going for you this morning, at least on this point. Don't look forward for it on the rest of them, but on this one, we, it worked out. Prayer comes before the fall, but unified prayer is best of all. You look at them, they're, they're coming together for prayer. 120 some odd people, disciples, gathered together in one room, in one place, and they are on their faces before God praying. Yes, one Great saint can do a lot of things through prayer, but when God's people get serious about prayer and they fall on their faces before God, God does great things. Now make no mistake about it, God doesn't need our prayers. He can do great things without our prayers, but God has so worked it where he works through means, and one of the means through which he works is our prayers. That's his way of inviting us in. If we want to see great things, if we want to see great conversions, if we want to see another great awakening here in Bastrop, 
And let's fall on our faces before God in prayer. Giving ourselves to prayer. We need to be involved in unified prayer for awakening. So we must seek God in prayer. Second, we must depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We must depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. As we see here, as they begin to pray, and as they are praying, the Holy Spirit falls down as this sound like a mighty rushing wind comes in. He falls down upon the people. And He begins to empower the people to work. You see, we can't do this on our own. We must depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to notice this, that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to all who believe. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to all who believe. Everyone who knows Christ, who has Christ, has the Holy Spirit. That was the promise of Jesus. I, I must go away so I can send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every believer. It, notice what he says here. Notice what uh, Luke says about this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say Peter and John. It doesn't just say the apostles. It says all of them, every one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone there, all of the Christians who were gathered together there in prayer, the Spirit fell upon them. And throughout the book, as we see new believers coming to faith, we see them given the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. The Holy Spirit is, the power of the Holy Spirit is available to all who believe. But not only that, the power of the Holy Spirit enables believers to then go out and serve. The Holy Spirit enables believers to go out and serve. Notice what they do. As the Holy Spirit begins to fall on them and fill them, they all begin to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So I don't understand what's taking place here, but apparently God was, was making a ruckus, right? The Holy Spirit is falling down, and it wasn't just a quiet thing. God was working in such a way that it was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't a mighty rushing wind, but it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. And it wasn't just a thing that the disciples heard. People throughout the town heard this sound, and they began to rush to the place where, where it was coming from. They come to the disciples. They hear it, and they come. And as they come to the disciples, the disciples begin to speak in these other tongues. Now, we're not talking about the gift of tongues today, and I'm not going to work through all that. We'll go through that maybe another day. But here, at least, what is taking place is the, the type of tongues that they are given to speak in are real, actual tongues. They're languages. That's why these people, all these Jews from different places in the Roman Empire, 
Uh, they're coming together, and all of these different Jews, they all can understand Hebrew. That's their native language, if you will. That's, well, all of them learned that from, uh, from childhood. But yet, you know, when you live in another country, you learn that language. And if you grow up in another country, you may know English, but your native language is whatever language that is that you grew up learning. Right? I have some missionary friends who, who lived in Romania, and their kids, they grew up knowing Romanian. And so when they came back to America, their kids had a hard time because they spoke day by day in Romanian. And so sometimes you would talk to them, and they would get to get, they would start on a sentence, and then all of a sudden a, a, a Romanian word would Bust in, in the scene there, you know, would come into play. And, and so, but that's what it is. When you grow up in another place, you, you learn that language, and that's your language. You may know English, you may know another language, but that's your language, and that's what's taking place. All of these Jews, they've grown up in other places, and now they've come to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, and they hear all of these people empowered by the Holy Spirit speaking the gospel, not in Hebrew, not in Greek, but in their own language and in their own dialect. The Holy Spirit is giving them power to serve, to even speak. As they proclaim the gospel to these lost men and women. Friend, we all need to, you need to, I need to, we need to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit as we go out and minister to the world. We use those gifts here in, in the church, that's for sure. And as we go through I, I Am a Church Member study, we've, we've talked about that. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just give us gifts to serve the church. He also gives us gifts to go out and to serve the world, to love the world by proclaiming the gospel. You know, a lot of people, they're afraid to share their faith. I was afraid to share my faith at one time. It's just it's kind of intimidating. I don't know why. You can share about your favorite football team or this thing or that thing and the other thing, but when it comes to sharing your faith, uh, it's just uh, Satan's there working on you, I guess, and it can be intimidating to a lot of people. But let me just encourage you. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, you just go out and you just start. You just take that leap of faith, that, that leap of faith, and just begin trying to share the gospel with someone, and you will be amazed at what the Holy Spirit will do in you and through you. You have the Holy Spirit. He has empowered you to speak gospel to others. We must seek God in prayer, and we must depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here, let me just give a brief, quick warning. Because as we look at revivals, as we look at awakenings, there, there have been those throughout history who have tried to manufacture awakenings. Right? If you just do this thing or that thing, then you can, you can kind of make it happen. No, you can't. You and I can't make an awakening happen. You and I can't wake, awaken a heart to the gospel. Only God can do that. 
We're not to use manipulation. We're not to, to bend emotions and, and turn emotions to just try to, to get a response. We're just to preach the gospel, pro- proclaim the gospel. That's it. We're supposed to allow the Holy Spirit to do all the work on the heart. We proclaim and God provides the awakening. That's not something we can manufacture. We must depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see a great awakening. So we seek awakening by seeking God in prayer, by depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. And third, if we want to see awakening, we must proclaim the gospel at every opportunity. We must proclaim the gospel at every opportunity. Now, we, you all, all heard the, the term, timing is everything, and timing is everything. I just think about when my wife, uh, of course, nowadays, bread's not in, so we can't eat bread anymore. Uh, you know, carbohydrates aren't, aren't the way to go. So, but used to, uh, back when we were in seminary, uh, bread was in, and so she began to, she took a class with a lady and ground her own wheat and made homemade, fresh homemade bread, and it was awesome. It was good stuff. I missed that stuff. But, uh, but timing was everything with making, with making bread. You got to, you know, it's kind of like you got to get the, the, let the yeast rise for so long. And if you, you stick it in too, too soon, then it doesn't rise. And if you stick it in too late, then it rises too much. And you really got a big old mess. And so timing was everything with that. And there's a lot of things that timing is everything. And, and really, timing is everything, even with awakening. But you know what? You and I, we're not to worry about the timing. The timing is in, in God's hands. Human timing is subject to error. You and I, we can't worry about the timing. We leave that to God because our timing is subject to error. We make mistakes. Bass fishing, for instance, timing is everything in bass fishing. Bass fishing, especially if you're using worms, you're fishing with worms, uh, artificial worms. You got to kind of, you know, you feel the bass pulling and and you got to wait just at the right time to really set the hook. If you try to set the hook too, too soon, then he doesn't have it in his mouth. And if you set it too late, he may spit it out. So I never got that figured out. I always, I always make error when it comes to bass fishing with artificial worms because I would either try to set it too quick as soon as he, I felt the first little nibble and pull it out of his mouth or I would wait too long and he would spit it out and go on his merry way. See, my timing is, had, it had error. Human timing, that's the way it is with human timing. We, we make errors. We make errors. And if you look and consider the the disciples here in this passage, they wouldn't have considered this timing to be the best timing. You remember, this is only about seven weeks, 50 days after, this was, was 50 days after the Passover. So about 50 days, seven weeks after Christ was crucified. These disciples were still kind of concerned Boy, if they went out and started proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel, what, what if those same people who crucified Jesus came after them? 
they may not have considered this to be the best timing. They would have, might have wanted to wait a year or so and, and let that whole thing die out. And they would have trusted their own timing. They would not have preached the gospel here on this day. Human timing is subject to error, but God's timing is absolutely perfect. God's timing is absolutely perfect. God has the complete view of things. He sees all things at all times. You see, what's taking place here in Jerusalem, there were two times in the year that the population in Jerusalem would swell. One was the day of, of Passover, and the other was the day of Pentecost. And, and the population in Jerusalem would swell from about 100,000 to 1 million and so God chose this day to empower His Holy Spirit, I believe, because there were multitudes of people who were there. A million, perhaps even more than a million people there in Jerusalem to hear the gospel. The disciples, they might not have preached this day, but God sent His Holy Spirit because it was the right day. He knew what he was doing in the hearts of those people who had come there. He had drawn them there to hear the gospel. We are not to worry about the timing. We're to trust God in his timing, and we're to proclaim the gospel at every opportunity we get. We want to see a great awakening. We must seek God in prayer, depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, and proclaim the gospel at every opportunity. And finally, if we're to, see the gospel, uh, we're to see a great awakening, we must prepare then for the results. We must prepare for the results. And the results are twofold. We see here that we must first of all prepare to answer questions. Prepare to answer those who have questions about what we are proclaiming. Just as these disciples were proclaiming the gospel, there were some there who began to ask questions. Uh, they had concerns as they saw all of this take place. They began to ask, what does this mean? What does all of this mean? It's an amazing thing that we're seeing. What does it mean? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, let me make it clear here. That doesn't mean that you have to be a scholar in theology. You don't have to be a scholar in, in, in the Bible to begin to answer questions. Yes, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. Because a lot of people, a lot of times, will ask you a lot of crazy questions. Questions that most of us probably don't have the answers to. Some questions that none of us have the answers to. Don't worry about those questions. Just say, I don't know. But I know what Jesus has done in my life. And you share Christ. Share Christ. Answer the questions by pointing them to Christ. Always and forever point people to Christ. Be prepared to answer those questions, just pointing people to Christ. But also be prepared to be maligned. 
be prepared to be maligned, as you see taking place here. You know, uh, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? And we see that taking place here. As some of them were asking, what does all this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Now, next week we'll see Peter's answer to that. But there, there's those mockers out there, those who are maligning them. They're looking at all this and saying, oh, what's going on with those people? They're crazy. They're drunk. This is pathetic. But Jesus tells us that. Matthew 10, uh, verses 24 through 25, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Yes, friend, I'm going to tell you, you, you will be, when you get serious about sharing your faith when you get serious about the gospel yes there will be those who will talk about you there'll be those who turn their back on you those who say well you're not much fun anymore but that's okay because we got jesus Now, honestly, I think the, uh, when you really look at it, I heard a statistic the other day. You know, a lot of us, we don't want to share our faith because we're afraid that, that someone will come in and, 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 and they'll just hammer us, right? They'll just get hard on us and, and uh, say all kinds of evil stuff to us and want to beat us up and all this kind of thing. We, we think all of these things. But you know, there's only about 5% of the people who have anything negative to say about people when they actually share their faith. That's somewhere around the, the statistic, around 5% of the people that you share with will have an ugly word to say with you. Nobody, I, I haven't heard of anybody in America anyway. I'm sure there's maybe a few, but you don't hear about people getting beat up or killed in America for sharing their faith. That, that doesn't happen very often. But even 5%, only 5% will ever have a negative word to say about you. Most people, even if they're not interested, will go along and thank you for your opinion. So don't let fear keep you down and keep you from sharing your faith. Share your faith and understand, yes, some people... They're not going to receive the gospel. They're not going to come to faith. Just trust God and His timing. You may just be planting a seed. And God may send someone else to reap the results. Be faithful to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. Prepare for those results. But what could happen then? If we saw an awakening, what could happen? What could we see take place here in Bastrop if, if God so chose to fall down upon this, this parish and awaken hearts unto Christ? What could happen? One of the great stories was a, one of the, that I, I love to hear is the, the great awakening of, the, of wealth back in uh, 1904 to 1905, the great Welch Revival, as they call it. 
things in Wales had gotten pretty bad. I mean, they were pretty immoral folks. But then God moved in the nation. And His Spirit began to fall down upon the nation. And wonderful things began to take place. Drunkenness and disorderly conduct plummeted. Plummeted to the point that uh, in many of the courts they had what they had called the the ceremony of the white gloves where the constable would come in and he would give the mayor of the town who was kind of, he worked as the judge too, I guess, but he would come in, the constable would come in and offer to the mayor the white gloves. And, and that ceremony meant there's no cases to try. Back then, the police officers were sent off to do other jobs because there was no crime for them to arrest people for. Boy, how would we like to see that happen in Bastrop? Drunkenness and disorderly conduct plummeted down. Immorality in general was uh, also decreased. Even the coal miners' mules, they got so confused because they were so used to their owners cursing them when they gave them their commands that when they quit cursing them, the mules didn't know how to operate. Man, what, what would it be if God would move in such a way in our day and time? Boy, I would love to see that. Just to see another great awakening sweep across this nation and see the power of God changing hearts, turning them to Christ. Dear friend, let's be in prayer. Let's seek another great awakening. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's depend upon the power of His Holy Spirit. Beg Him for His Spirit to fall down. Let's proclaim the Gospel. Let's tell people about the precious gift of Jesus Christ. That our Lord God and our Savior Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that we can have eternal life in Him. What's wrong with telling people that? That's the greatest news ever. This life, this horrible life with all of its frailties is not all there is. There's eternity with Christ. You'll only believe. You'll trust in Him. Surrender your life to Him. Why can't we tell people that? Why can't we share that with others? Let's proclaim the gospel at every opportunity and then let's pray. Let's prepare for the glorious results. Focusing on that which God will bring in the hearts of those He converts. Christ. Oh, let's seek an awakening. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we hunger for an awakening. Lord God, this is not something that we can manufacture or produce and let us not ever think we can do that. But Father, we seek Your face. And we pray, O oh Lord, that You would move in a mighty way. 
Oh, that we would see Your Spirit fall upon this city and this parish and this state and this nation. Such a way as this in Your book of Acts. Father, let us see Your work as You turn people to Christ. This I pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.